Welcome to Open Source Sustainability. I'm Alex Lassiter, the CEO of Green Places. On this show, I talk with sustainability leaders to learn how companies are adapting their business models to be in line with sustainability goals. We believe sustainability has to be open source to be successful, and these leaders have offered us a glimpse inside their strategies in the hopes that we can all move forward together. We are fascinated by some of the unique challenges these sustainability leaders face and are excited to dive deeper. In this episode, we speak with Tina Basias, Sustainability Coordinator at Durham Academy. The private K-12 school in Durham, North Carolina, is training the next generation of climate champions by educating kids on carbon footprints, recycling, composting, and sustainability. By learning about these concepts at an early age, students build eco-friendly habits that they can continue for the rest of their lives. And I'm excited to be talking with Tina about how the school is practicing what they teach. Well, hi, Tina. Welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for joining, especially with Earth Month coming up here. We're, we're very excited to get the chance to talk to you. I guess to kind of get started, maybe tell us a little bit about your role at Durham Academy and especially how it pertains to sustainability. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, uh, we are very excited about Earth Month and making lots of plans. So this is a, a great time to, to get to talk to you. I am a sustainability coordinator and an independent study coordinator. So um, I, in my sustainability coordinator role, I teach a class each semester and I get to co-advise the student government uh, sustainability committee and I lead a, an adult sustainability leadership team. So those are kind of the, the three different groups that uh, all intersect with and I, with you know, and collectively organize all the sustainability activities so far uh, at Durham Academy. And, and that strikes me when I was in school, we didn't, I don't feel like we had folks that were dedicated to something like sustainability. And I'm curious, you know, I, I think this is a relatively new thing for, you know, schools to start to track and, you know, assess and gain visibility into their footprint, you know, working both with parents and students. But how did this come to be at, at Durham Academy? Like, and, and how did you, I, I guess, maybe talk to me through the formation of your position and how you've interacted and kind of how that's grown over time? Well, sure. Um, I guess I, I am a part of an independent school sustainability leaders group that just meets on Zoom once a month just for just to sort of share experiences and chat about stuff. Uh, so I know we're not the only ones, but a lot of the schools that have been doing this for a while are Northeastern boarding schools. So um, it seems to be newer in the Southeast and in day schools. And, you know, I think uh, public schools also in some places have really exciting things going on. Like in Hanover, New Hampshire, uh, they have a really cool collaboration with Dartmouth College. And so, so there are sort of pockets of this. I think around, but it started for for me and for Durham Academy in the fall of 2018 when the IPCC published its report on keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees. And it, you know, the idea of cutting carbon emissions by 50% in 10 years seemed like a tall order, but a clear one. And and you know, my school Durham Academy has. Uh, is a K-12 school. So I love the, the fact that, you know, a 10-year span is just really 
clear to us. And you know, we can go down to the lower school and see the second graders. We can say, okay, when these children look like the seniors, you know, we need to have made dramatic changes. And I asked around with my colleagues and everybody about, you know, what's Durham Academy's response to this ICC report going to be? And I didn't find a whole lot of people that were paying a lot of attention to it, but some of us, uh, there were some students and some faculty members who were interested, and so we formed a study group. And that was the beginning in uh, November of 2018. And then in February, we had uh, a seminar. It was really cool because it turned out that one of the authors of that report was a parent of students in our school. So Drew Schindel came and spoke to us about the process of of creating this giant report. Um, and it was just amazing to hear all the detail. And, and we were just learning and educating ourselves about climate change at that point. And then um, the students said, you know, went to this leader of student government, the president of the student body, and said, we want to have an elected uh, leader of sustainability next year. And that kind of led to a reorganization of student government with a number of different committees instead of a conventional like president, vice president, secretary, treasurer kind of structure. Uh, so the next year we had an, our first elected leader in the fall of 2019 for of a student government sustainability committee. And um, we just had a, a lot of excitement around that and have continued to since then. And we've kept on adding things. I guess um, the following year I was asked to be a sustainability coordinator. And that was a big surprise to me. I, I was an English teacher at the time, um, a part-time English teacher, so I was only teaching one or two courses. I was asked if I'd be willing to shift over and do this. So the, our administration really came up with that. I didn't. And they have been very supportive uh, along the way as we have, and we are now working towards a clear set of goals and metrics that we hope the school will commit to in the next few months. That's amazing. Um, that's amazing. I know we got to work with you over the last year of kind of like building out your, your sources of emissions and understanding a baseline of where you are. And as I understand it, you're using the Green Places platform to essentially kind of set and track those goals. How important is, is tracking to this? You know, there's the behavioral changes that you're doing. Um, you're obviously, you've, you spent years putting together strategies and stuff, but maybe talk to me a little bit about the importance of clear reporting and tracking um, as you kind of reach your goals. Yeah, we are, we are really excited to have the uh, Green Places report of our, of our greenhouse gas emissions and understand the sources of them and, you know, where they're coming from. But we're also aware that we can do better on the data, you know, get more precise about our, our data gathering and being able to measure progress is, is key. I mean, without that, you don't really have goals. You're just doing stuff and flailing around. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've spent a few years at that, and that's great, but we are really ready to make progress that we can measure, and that involves tracking. So that's kind of a next step. We're almost there, but uh, not quite at that phase yet. So doing the integrations and getting clear metrics in place is going to be key to, I think, serious progress as opposed to just sort of nibbling around the edges of it.
Sure. Um, that makes total sense. And for those of us who, um, who aren't as familiar with the sustainability profile of a independent school, could you talk to us a little bit about where do emissions come from at a school like, like Durham Academy? And I know you're still working on finalizing some of your goals, both medium term and long term, but could you talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching this problem and what are the things that you know, you've at least discussed of ways you're going to start to work down some of these categories. Well, it's no surprise that electricity is our biggest category, but only slightly bigger than the the student commute. And you know, we're a suburban campus, actually two campuses, and you know, most everybody drives here. Interestingly, I was a I was a kid at Durham Academy many years ago. I grew up in this area. Uh, so um, I have a kind of long-term perspective. And when I was going to school, everybody carpooled. And you could count on one hand the number of uh, students who had cars. And uh, that's changed a lot uh, as our culture has changed um, around the school. And so now we have lots of parking and lots of people in the uh, lots of students in the upper school driving to campus. And of course, children being dropped off at other, uh, other campuses, often individually. We have some carpooling uh, that goes on. And there are different challenges with that at different levels. You know, in the younger years, you have car seats to deal with. Um, so mix and match, you know, separate morning and afternoon solutions are, are challenging that way. And you also, you know, in the middle and upper schools, you have different uh, athletics and extracurricular activities and things like that. So I think everybody is a little busier than they once were and a little more intense about their time and those, you know, saving that, that 10 minutes that it would take to coordinate with somebody else. And we just have so much coordinating and messaging in our lives. Um, so those are some of the challenges that, that are involved there. And the reason that our, that our commuting, uh, commuting is such a big part of our uh, carbon emissions profile. Waste is another one that we really hope to work on and have been working on um, for several years just without being able to quite measure it. But getting, you know, really figuring out how to reduce the amount of single-use plastic and uh, the amount of just trash that we're generating and how to recycle and compost things more. We've looked at TerraCycling and that's a complicated one, whether the benefits are, we'd be better off just not relying on plastic packaging and such. So we are working along on those and excited to be able to really measure and make progress. I was very surprised by the uh, relatively low um, low uh, contribution of our buses and the, the um, combustion, internal combustion engines that we own, buses and maintenance equipment. Didn't turn out to be a huge part of our profile, partly because the buses actually don't go all that far. <laughs> They'd get driven much less than a family passenger car or something. It's, you know, it, it will have interesting trade-offs as we get into things. You know, should we buy an electric bus for a really lot amount of money in our view? Or should we change out three old HVACs on the rooftop of the school or, you know, something like that? Um, those are going to be interesting calls. I look forward to the day when we're in a position to make those. It's interesting because the way that I hear you going about this is not too dissimilar to the way that, you know, a business might look at their, their financial reports. It sounds like an almost like an ROI discussion of now that we know the bigger sources, you can make trade-offs 
as to where to focus. And, um, and that's, that's really interesting. Uh, you hear a lot of times, you know, over the course of the last 10 years, almost people just doing things to do them. I'll separate trash, I'll implement composting, all these things that we know to be good. But without that quantification, it's hard to know where to spend time. And as things get busier, it's really interesting to hear how you're working through this from a perspective of, could we do this or could we do this? What's the best allocation for our resources to be able to maximize, you know, our return on the environment, which is, which is really interesting. Now you mentioned waste for the, the folks that are listening. How far does the circus tent go when you think about sustainability? I know you have greenhouse gas emissions. You've got waste. Are you thinking about water? Um, I've, I've heard you talk at some points around uh, biodiversity how, how far does this go? What is the, the walls of this discussion when, when a, a school like Durham Academy thinks about it? Yeah, our definition of sustainability as we've worked on it encompasses stewardship of resources that does include water and it does include our campuses, especially, you know, the, the twin crises that are facing humanity are um, biodiversity loss and climate change. Um, so we are defining sustainability basically as, as addressing both of those. And, you know, biodiversity is something that we also want to work on. In fact, we're going to have a course on that next year, we hope. And we have started looking at campus to set goals for how much can we uh, restore uh, native plantings and wildlife habitat within our grounds. There's uh, a really cool researcher named Doug Tallamy, who has the concept of a homegrown national park that looking at all the properties around the U.S. And, that are privately owned, which are a great majority. And, you know, reducing the amount of fescue grass and all the chemicals that get uh, devoted to keeping it green and rewilding people's backyards and our campuses and things like that is definitely part of what we want to do. It's probably less resource intensive, less expensive uh, than you know changing our changing up things in our carbon emissions side, and you know electricity, electric buses, and uh, changing out HVAC units and all this expensive stuff. But I think still very meaningful. So we are basically we approach it through those two lenses: through the biodiversity lens and the uh, carbon emissions lens. Got it. Makes total sense. So one of the things that I, I love about what y'all have been doing is is really engaging the students in this. I love the idea of having students at the school now in second grade being able to see these goals fully mature throughout their education. My school got the internet when I was in second grade, and I remember I I actually did the the train the official training video of connecting uh, the the AOL you know internet thing and the library and disseminated. And I remember a teacher telling me that by the time you graduate, everything will look very different. This is going to be way bigger than you think it is. And obviously made my career in it and all that stuff. So I'm really, really excited and energized about how you engage these students. So maybe talk to me a little bit about some of the student-led groups. What are they focused on? How do they think about this stuff? And I'm just curious of their reactions on it. Like what's been, what's been the response from students as, as you've continued to up your commitments? So I'll answer that about students, but I want to go back to something beautiful that you that you said about the internet and, and changing everything like from when you were in second grade to when you graduated. And it indeed, I'm sure, was a total revolution in what school looked like and how it how it operated. And you know, I hope we're gonna have a similar 
transformation in this process of becoming a sustainable school. I can just imagine so many things looking so different, and we can talk about that if you want to. But um, in terms of students uh, and what you're really asking here, the they have really driven so much of this. And just from the beginning, it's been a really positive, upbeat group. And it's turned over multiple times, but that, that tone has, has remained. And there's just such a sense of excitement about doing real things. You know, I think students, and, and I work most closely with the high school students, and they have lots of opportunities for competitions of various, you know, in debate and athletics and uh, robotics, you know, and lots of things. Almost everything that is not sustainability has an aspect to pretend about it. You know, you get a trophy for something and that's great, or you're, you're debating something, but you're not actually changing a law. You're, you know, debating other high schoolers and seeing who, you know, in a sense, who has the most potential to change laws in the future if they go into politics or, or you know, policy work or something. In the Sustainability Committee, we have the joy, the, the excitement of making actual concrete change that is now. And that is, I think, really energizing for students. You know, so like when they were going out and gathering data, you know, in the fall semester and, and handing it over to you know, Green Places, our, our partners at Green Places and all, they were really participating in the process that is changing Durham Academy. So their energy and their willingness to do things and, you know, we've, we've done dumpster dives, you know, we get out and get dirty, you know, gathering paper towels from bathrooms, doing a, you know, a pilot, a rather long pilot project to change over uh, from putting all our paper towels in the trash to putting them all in compost, involved students every week emptying the receptacles, twice a week, emptying the receptacles and uh, taking care of things until we could hand it over to housekeeping, you know, get a, a, a process in place. And, you know, this this big event that we did recently, this sustain-in, was, uh, you know, really a student creation. Um, we were in class and starting to think ahead about, okay, how are we going to take this Green Places report of our greenhouse gas emissions and get to the point of the school making commitments to change things? And we're not in a position to buy a lot of offsets. We are going to have to actually do change in order to bring our carbon emissions down. And we talked about it and said, well, the more we engage people in the process of developing strategies and that sort of thing, the more willing they'll be to support those strategies too. And the better strategies we'll come up with if we have a lot of different perspectives on it. So, you know, and then they, they get to this point where we're sort of spitballing ideas in class and it's like, okay, we can stay all night and we can work on this and, you know, and make a big event and bring in everybody and all that. And I'm going, and, it, and that's when I'm starting to go, oh, really? Well, that's amazing. I mean, it's, I hear this sense of optimism from these students. I mean, that's, that's to me is, is, is so exciting. I'm hearing, I mean, you could see it from, I think from your reactions on it, but it's just such this level of excitement and optimism about the future that a lot of times you hear is, is almost more of people are just so doom and gloom and we're never going to make it. It sounds like the students at, at Durham Academy view this as just a great opportunity to do something. And I think that just sounds so, so exciting. It, it is. It, we do have our dark moments, you know. I, I, I do teach about climate change, and I, I think it's important. They're old enough to know the facts, and it, it's scary. We have our 
our scary moments. And we, we talk about that and we talk about hope and how do you maintain it in, in the face of really steep odds? You know, the outlook is, is certainly very scary if we don't do anything. And so it becomes a matter of choosing the optimistic path and saying, well, it is going to be maybe the hardest thing that's ever been done by humanity to get change the course we're on and to meet these targets of 2030 and 2050 that the IPCC has set. But let's get going. I mean, you know, it's always, you know, comes down to we can sit in the corner and cry or we can get busy and, you know, demand change, act it out, you know, be willing to change ourselves and be willing to really ask it of leadership and demand it because the circumstances require it. I mean, if it's an emergency, we do something. And so I do survey all the ninth graders uh, every year and I do find a high degree of worry about climate change. About two-thirds of our student body is at a four or a five out of five level of worry and fear about the future as climate change impacts it. But we all feel better when we're working on things and we have a lot of fun. And, you know, we can, we are very conscious about making sure we include the fun and acknowledge the daunting realities, but then don't, you know, move forward and we have a lot of support from our administration. They have been, in, the students have been invited to speak to the administrative team every year since we started this and to the board of trustees a couple of times. And that's rare and something that we all appreciate greatly and hope to really make the most of it. That's amazing. What, and, and I'm going to go back to this idea of like a sustainable school because I love the tangent we were about to go down. So I'm going to come back to that. But one more thing on the students that I'm just curious about is four out of five is a lot. This is clearly shaping how students perceive probably anything, like you said, as they think about these other subjects or these other activities being, you know, real or pretend. This obviously is something that's going to you know, if you're a student, it's just something that's probably in, involved in a lot of the ways that you do things. So I'm curious how you think this stuff shapes how students make decisions on, on all kinds of things. Do you see it? I'm curious if you see it in the way that, you know, how students buy things, uh, support things, uh, especially as your older students, as they think about universities and colleges and internships. I, I'm, I'm curious outside of the academic setting, how is this affecting this generation of people in, in how they consume the world that you've noticed maybe in, 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 you know, in, in your experience of, of seeing students, you know, throughout your career. I'm, I'm curious if, you've, if, if you think there's anything, you know, different here. Well, Alex, there's nothing like sorting through all the trash the school produced for a week to make you feel pretty icky about single-use plastic. <laughs> 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 I, I think uh, it isn't something that we talk about a lot as a group because this is more individual stuff. But, you know, I certainly think that reusable water bottles and bags and such are a focus for the students that are involved in sustainability. You know, we're talking about maybe 50 students or so out of a student body of 400 and 450 or so, you know, so it isn't everybody, but, but everybody that I'm around, you know, that is really working with this is, and, and lots of kids that even aren't involved are vegetarians or, you know, 
doing other activities to that they're very aware of their environmental impact I think overall and certainly some of them are studying things in college some of the alumni tell us about studying things in college that are related to sustainability or entirely focusing on it and that's that's very exciting we have a former student body leader who was as he describes it, only tangentially involved with sustainability, but he's now a, a Moorhead Kane scholar at UNC, and he was just, and he was actually at the big conference in Sharm El Sheikh uh, last wow. summer. Uh, and so, you know, he's had an incredible journey. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's not an easy thing to get to. Being able to be on that stage and being able to meet all these folks that are trying to figure this stuff out and see how countries for lack of a better word, horse trade to try to figure out how they're going to get there and who's responsible is is really interesting. That's great. That's great that he had that opportunity to do that. I know there was a there was a small group of students I remember that were able to go and it was I forget how it actually happened, but there was a, a faculty, I believe, that had access to tickets that donated it. I think the students had to figure out how to get themselves there or raise the money to do it, but it's a that's not an easy ticket to get. It's not just like going online and purchasing a ticket. So that's amazing. So you were starting on a tangent and I wanted to, to push into it of this idea of a second grade student hearing about 10 year plans and what the world might look like. So I, I'm curious, what does a sustainable school look like in, in 10 years? Like, what is that? What does that look like from from your perspective? Yeah, I don't pretend to know entirely, uh, but I can just picture you know, solar panels and green rooftops uh, all over, much smaller parking lots uh, with a lot more native plants uh, everywhere and, you know, wildlife habitat. And I picture everybody arriving at school in zero emissions vehicles and carpooling and lots of changes to the the city infrastructure around us um, that would allow for uh, active transport bicycles and rollerblades and uh, scooters and any other way that uh, people can can get to school. And, uh, you know, I think we would have uh, much less trash, you know, our, and basically everything reusable, no single-use plastic anywhere around. I can picture so much of, you know, will the buildings still look the way they do now? Mostly because... Um, I don't see us rebuilding our campus uh, in that time. We've, but um, maybe we'll be dressing differently, uh, dressing much more for the weather, and um, using significantly less climate-controlled, you know, control devices, less HVAC uh, energy that way. So, I, I just picture lots and lots of change in how we dress, how we go about our days, how we get to and fro, um, and and the kind of environment around us being feeling much more connected to it. What do you think about food? What do you think about what people will be eating? Do you imagine it being more seasonal or from the property? Like how do you how do you sort of I'm curious if y'all have kind of dove into that. What do you think that looks like? I don't think we have a lot of property we could use to grow our own food. So that would be more on the personal side of things. That wouldn't be necessarily part of what of what we're directly doing, but it could, it would very much be part of, you know, one of the biggest changes that I guess I didn't talk about before is that 
to educate more about sustainability is really the third pillar, you know, reduce carbon emissions, increase biodiversity, and educate uh, at all levels in all courses um, about sustainability. And we really uh, have, have inquiries from parents and alumni about that too, who are interested in, in learning with us uh, about sustainability. So, and in that way, we would, food would definitely be something that needs to change. You know, our whole food systems are very fossil fuel intensive. Having more vegetarian and vegan eating and more locally produced food would be definitely part of a more sustainable uh, school community, we could say, if not the institutional <laughs> of the school. Sure. Yeah, it makes little sense. We had... um. Prior to you joining, we had uh, the head of sustainability at Taco Bell, and we were talking about silverware and uh, hard plates um, in every Taco Bell, not having single-use plastics and paper and having a dine-in experience. Um, and it was fun to kind of talk about what these things might look like in the future. And so I'm always really curious about kind of how folks envision where they're going. We obviously won't know until we're there. We couldn't have envisioned where we were today you know, 20 years ago in the advent of the internet. But um, I think uh, I'm very optimistic about things, but I think it's interesting. Well, I know we're getting towards the end of this, um, but I, I'd love to ask maybe one other question, which is what is something for folks that just aren't as aware of decarbonizing, you know, an education institute, you know, an independent school, what is something that you wish people understood? For somebody that doesn't really know how this is set up on your side and, you know, where your sources of emissions are, and they might think this could be an easy problem to solve or, or anything from that perspective. What is like the one thing that you kind of wish that everybody knew? I wish they knew how inspiring and exciting it is to engage collaboratively with students in this way, that students bring a lot of energy and of course a lot of uh, possibility they can tackle something in numbers you know like going and finding all of the uh, product labels on every refrigerator and vehicle that the school owns and you know fanning out across the school and finding everything and getting involved so they bring numbers to it uh, so that they make things possible uh, for data gathering and trash sorting and, you know, stuff like that. And I think that it, it's a different relationship for teachers and students when we're really working together on a common goal like this. And that is a deeply rewarding experience and I think uplifting to all parties. It, it gets us out of the climate doldrums and into that place of action and determination that is the basis for hope. That's amazing. I love that. I think uh, we talk to so many people that work in climate and sustainability and it can sometimes feel like this is a little bit of an island. And I hear from you that if you can engage other people, it can obviously it can maximize your impact, but it can create these behavioral changes and these opportunities to educate and to amplify what you're doing, whether it's with students or parents or coworkers. My suspicion is with every every business or organization trying to do this, they've got a fair amount of stakeholders that would probably love to be engaged. Um, and I love to hear that that y'all have found 
so much fruit in that, and and it's really exciting, and it makes me really excited um, to be able to see what these young students are going to grow up into, and you know how they're going to be a part of this and be able to inspire real change. Um, so thank you, thank you so much for for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it, and um, thanks for taking the time to to talk us through things. It sounds like things are are are, are really exciting um, in terms of what y'all are doing at Durham Academy, and. Um, we're glad to be able to help support you in this, but just so inspired by all the stuff that y'all are doing. Um, so thank you. Well, thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, we're very glad to be working with Green Places. Thank you. Thank you to Tina for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and follow the podcast wherever you'd like to listen so you don't miss an episode. This podcast is powered by Green Places, and if you're looking to reduce your company's environmental impact and reach your sustainability goals, visit greenplaces.com to learn more. I'm Alex Lasseter, and I'll talk with you next time on Open Source Sustainability.